Well, you guys are in store for something really cool today. And so the people that aren't here are just going to have to listen to it on the podcast. And it's just never the same on the podcast as it is in person. And so I'm going to ask Brian Hutchison to come up, if he would. And I just want him to share a testimony. You know, we're talking about generosity and the importance of generosity in the Christian life and having fields of gold, right? Fields of gold and, and walking in that generosity. And Brian, you, you have a story um, that's pretty cool. So would you mind sharing that? Good morning. Is it on? It looks like it's on. Try again. Good morning. So... My name's Brian, and me and my wife, Cassie, lead the setup and teardown team here. <clears throat> and we were having troubles with the coffee cart. And I went to Tyson about getting a new one, and we came up with an idea to get a roll around island. And as you might have noticed, we got a new one. Our plan was is to find a used one but I was talking to the team about it, and they just, they said, well, how much is a new one? And I showed them on Amazon, and the people that was helping me tear down that day just opened up their wallets and started handing out money. <laughs> and, it, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. And so we had a need, mm-hmm. the need was expressed, and... Now, what you shared with me before church is that someone just someone had just said, well, I've got this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there, then that started something. Yeah. There was actually a person that had just started helping us. That was their first Sunday. And they just opened up their wallet and was like, I've got this amount. This is all I've got. And just handed it over. Yeah. And it was it was awesome. That's cool. And then that, what happened is that snowballed. Yes. So the next person standing there went, well, wait a minute, I've got this in my wallet. And then it just kept going. I've got this, yeah. I've got this, I've got this. And next thing we know, we have a brand new donut coffee cart sitting out there, if you haven't noticed. And so that's just an amazing, amazing story of generosity and how one person's generosity snowballs into other lives. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks. Give Ryan a round of applause and... Uh, you never know that when you, when you step out and act generously, you never know what's really going to happen. You never know how that's going to spur or encourage somebody else. Today, we're going to talk about, in this series, Fields of Gold, we're going to talk about law of the harvest. The law of the harvest. And if you got your Bibles, in Mark chapter 6, if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. In Mark chapter 6... Verses 41 through 43, we have the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, in those days, they only counted the men, not the children or the women. And so if there are 5,000 men, and we know that the average family is about eight people, including wife and children, then 5,000 times, do the math, 5,000 times, that's about 40, almost 40,000 people total that Jesus fed. But they only record the 5,000. And they come to a point where Jesus is speaking and he's talking and he realizes that people are hungry. And believe it or not, when you're speaking to a crowd of people, you can kind of know what's going on with them, right? 
like today, I can just kind of tell that there's, there's just like this kind of dead hush today for whatever reason. There's just kind of, everybody's just kind of like, <sighs> I can just sense it. I can see it. I can read it. It's just part of what it's like to do public speaking. You, you can sense things. You know things. You see it on your faces. You see it on nonverbal expressions. All of you. I can tell you which ones of you are tired, which ones of you are really just don't want to be here, and you're here because your mom drug you, um, and so on. And so you, you can just kind of learn these things. So as Jesus is talking, and of course Jesus obviously knows far more than I do, but as Jesus is talking, he begins to see these people are hungry. They need food. And so he turns to his disciples and he says, hey, these guys are hungry. Won't, won't we get them something to eat? And he's like, and they're like, yeah, right. Like, so we're going to drive through the local fast food dollar menu. How are we feeding nearly 40,000 people? How are we going to do this? And a little boy happens to be there, and he's got his loaves of bread, and he's got his fish. Now, I just want to keep this in perspective. This isn't like a French roll bread, long bread. This is like wafers, cracker. We call them crackers, right? Bread, small wafers. And he's got fish. No, it's not like a swordfish or salmon, and they're chopping up salmon. These are like sardine-sized fish. These are small fish. He's like, well, I got this. <laughs> and I just, I just imagine, do you imagine what might be going through the disciples' minds? Like, okay, right. Thank you, buddy, but you can take it on back and we'll go watch Mr. Rogers now. Right? I mean, that would have been the adult thing to do. That would have been the adult approach. Thank you, that's nice, but mm, can't do anything with that. But one disciple had enough faith to say, okay, this makes no sense to me, but I'm going to take you over here to the master, and you can give it to him. And the Bible says that Jesus took the loaves and the fish, the crackers and the sardines in our culture, he took the crackers and the sardines, and it says in Mark chapter 6, verses 41 through 43, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Jesus takes the five loaves of bread and the two fish, and he offers them up in prayer. And as he's praying, as he's praying to his father, asking his father to bless it, he breaks it. And he says, okay, now go hand it out. Um, I've got, <laughs> um, you just broke it in half, so now instead of five loaves, I've got ten halves. There's nothing here. There's still the two fish. The miracle didn't happen in the prayer. The prayer simply invited God to do what only God could do with the natural. And Jesus gave thanks for it. I think sometimes we think, oh, Jesus prayed and suddenly there was all this food. There was nothing more. The Bible does not indicate that there was anything more after he prayed. And so the miracle didn't happen in the prayer. The miracle didn't happen with the 5,000 just showing up and consuming whatever Jesus was teaching. That's not where the miracle happened. The miracle didn't happen in Jesus teaching some great truth. The miracle didn't happen in the prayer. The miracle happened when they became obedient and said, this doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm going to give it anyway. 
And so I'm going to go out into the crowd of nearly 40,000 people, and I'm just going to start handing out the food. And the Bible says that as they were handing out the food, it just kept showing up. And so you hand out, you've got this little bowl maybe of these little minnows and fish, and you hand it out, and they grab a couple, and you hand it out, and they grab a couple, and then they grab it, and the bowl never diminishes. They they take part of the bread, and you go to the next person, and the bread just never stops. The bread just keeps multiplying itself as they're giving it out. The miracle of generosity didn't happen in sitting and consuming some great teaching. The miracle of generosity didn't happen in the prayer. The miracle of generosity happened when they began to obey and give. That's when the miracles happen. If you want to see miracles happen in your life, you can't just show up to church, oh, man, that was really great, that really moved me today. Praise God, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to go to work tomorrow, live my life, and I'll be back here next week to get more. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, take it, go give it. That's when the miracle happens, is when you give, right? And so he did that. And in that moment, the disciples' eyes were opened, and the generosity and the power of the power of God moved so mightily that there were 12 baskets full. Now, we don't know the size of the baskets, but it's estimated that they're probably about four feet tall, maybe a foot or so wide in diameter, and there are 12 left. How many disciples did he have? 12. Because they took what Jesus gave them, their families got blessed with the rest with the leftover. They took what Jesus gave them and went out and began to be a blessing to other people. And the result was they could go back to their families. Peter could go back to his wife and his children, the Bible says, and he could, honey, I I don't understand what just happened today. But here's a basket full of fish and bread. Why? Because they were obedient in their generosity. And we talked about last week, the thing that often keeps us from being generous with what we have is fear founded a a wall of fear. Remember we talked about the wall of fear that's painted with what-ifs. And underneath our what-ifs is this wall of fear. And the wall of fear, if we dig down deep enough, the wall of fear is supported underground by self-preservation. But the Bible never calls us to self-preservation. It calls us to the death of self. But it's human nature to preserve. Well, what if, what if, what if? And we talked about the what ifs last week. So Paul begins to see, as Paul comes along on the scene later, he begins to spread the gospel. And one of the places that he spreads the gospel is Corinth in Greece. And he spreads the gospel and he notices something. And so he writes to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Verses 6 through 11, he's talking about their generosity. In fact, you can read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And both chapters are all about their generosity to give. But in verse 9, he, I'm sorry, in chapter 9, verse 6, he starts by encouraging their generosity. He says, you know what, you guys have a gift. You have a spiritual gift of generosity. And you guys give like nobody's business. And in verse 6, he says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In these five verses, he gives us basically three laws of harvest in our generosity. The first law is this. The law of the harvest applies to the finances, applies to your finances. Because in these two chapters, he's saying, listen, I'm not able to come and receive the offering that you've collected to help distribute to the other churches, to help them keep going and to help them grow. He says, so I'm going to send Titus. Titus will collect it. I'm not able to get there, but I'm going to send Titus. And so he's talking to them about their generosity. And he says, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Inside one kernel of corn, one kernel off of a cob, when you plant that seed, it produces a stalk of corn. That stalk of corn may have two to four ears on it, maybe more. But each ear of corn has about 600 kernels on it. Now, 600 times four, I'm not great at math, but I think that's about 2,400 kernels. That one kernel of corn will produce 2,400 other kernels of corn. Think about that for a minute. But what's the farmer have to do with it? If the farmer just puts it in the barn and never sows it and just keeps collecting corn and sticking it in the barn, he'll never reap the full potential of his storehouse. You and I, as long as we're concerned about self-preservation, will never reach the full potential, the full spiritual potential that we have in Christ. We'll keep worrying about how do we save ourselves. We'll never see the full potential when we get to heaven. There is a direct correlation between how much you give and how much you give back. A direct correlation what you sow impacts your return. So if I, take, if I take a cob, a single ear of corn, and I just take 300, I will not get the same amount back as if I had sowed the whole thing. And self-preservation would say, well, we'll take one row and then just eat the rest because you've got to survive. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Trust me. Plant every single kernel of corn on that ear of corn. You will thank me later. That's what we have to begin to see. So what would you say? Well, I would say that probably this whole idea of giving money, this thought of giving to the church in our society, probably give is a bad word. <gasps> because over and over and over in the Bible, what we find it says, when you give, you will reap abundantly. We have another word for that. 
It's called invest. Invest. Now, I was talking about this with somebody this week, and we were sitting around talking about it. I said, what if the body of Christ began to see it not as giving, but as investing? The reason I think we see it as giving is because when I give, I get nothing tangible or I get nothing visible back in return. So I'm giving it. But the Bible says in several places that when you give to God, he returns it back, either in this life or in the next life. Jesus told us that we should look to store up our riches where robbers can't break in and steal, where moths can't come in and eat it, where rust cannot come in and destroy it. He goes, if you're really thinking long term, you understand that this life, these 80 years or so, are really just prep work for the next. And if I really view it that way, and if I really think that way, then it begins to look a whole lot more like investing for the next life than it is giving in this life, because I don't see a whole lot of what I'm getting back. But if I'm thinking long term, as any investor does, you think long term, you think, okay, now wait a minute, this isn't giving, I'm investing into the kingdom of God. So that when the offering plate goes by or you get online to give or you set up automatic giving, it's not giving, it's investing. And some of you have seen the miracle of it. I've, too many stories are sitting out there right now of people that have gave and, and got a job or, or continued to give, lost a job, got another job, or, or gave to one thing and somebody came in with a piece of information and it just made your marriage better. It's investing and God says, I may, I'm going to pay you back, but it may not be exactly the way you think I'm going to because I know your marriage is about ready to hit a rocky spot in a year from now. So because you are generous and you're obeying me, I'm going to start providing pieces of information to make your marriage that much better. He knows what you need when you need it, right? So my question then becomes, okay, I've got an extra $30. I can dump it in my 401K, or I can dump it into the kingdom of God. Which is going to yield better return? Which life are you living for? Now, I'm not saying abandon your 401K, and I'm not saying get rid of everything, I'm saying be wise with your money, but also understand that God has a plan. And his plan doesn't just solely include the 80 years that you're on this physical earth. His plan includes eternity. And if I'm really investing for the future, then I don't look at this as giving. I look at this as investing, right? So it's no longer giving, it's investing. The first law of harvest, right? I'm sowing, I'm investing I'm getting a return. I'm getting a dividend. So God calls us to move from the realm of giving to the realm of investing. The second law found in this passage is this. Financial investing or giving allows your life to align with God's. It allows your life. Listen to what he says. He, he quotes Psalm 112 verse 9. He says in there, They have freely scattered the gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Psalm 112, verse 9, says this. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. 
What's a horn? Well, a horn is a horn is a call. A horn is a horn is an opportunity to step up. The horn represents that that you know this is this is me. This is this is who I who I am. And so he says that one day, one day. Keep in mind all of eternity. One day, your horn, your opportunities to step up will be lifted up before everybody to see and say, "Look what they did! Look at the generosity that they've done." Now I know we don't do it for self-recognition, but let's just truly be honest. If we're going to be honest in this room, sometimes a little recognition goes a long way, doesn't it? And to know that God says, one day I'm going to lift you up and go, look at all these opportunities they had to be generous, and they took advantage of all of these. Wow. Wow. What an opportunity. See, God's intentions are that his kingdom advance, that his kingdom advances. And how does his kingdom advance? Well, the Bible says that true religion looks after the widows and the poor and the orphans and makes sure that they're clothed, that they're fed, that they have what they need. He says, and when you step out to do these things, as we saw from law number one, it's an investment, and he rewards you. It's what his disciples did in Mark chapter 6. They stepped out and said, these people are hungry, they're in need, they've come. And so they gave, and it just kept coming. And they picked up their 12 baskets and they walked off because God said, because you were obedient with what I gave you, here's more. Here's more. God is looking for conduits of heaven. Are you a conduit of heaven with what God's blessed you with? Yes, some, some people make a whole lot more financially and some people make a whole lot less. That's not what God's interested in. He's interested in Are you managing well what I'm giving you so that when you get to heaven, you have rewards? And I will reward you in this life as well. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for conduits for his generosity to flow through. He's going to advance his kingdom with or without us. He will simply find somebody else to do it through. But I don't want him to find somebody else to do what I'm supposed to do. Right? Look at your neighbor and say, don't let them take your job. Turn to your other neighbor and say, back off my job. You got a job to do with what God's blessed you with. You might make 500 a month and you might make 20,000 a month. It doesn't matter. Whatever God has given you, Manage it well and be a conduit, right? I heard a preacher say one time, and I've said this before, and I love it. So you're going to have to hear it again. One hand's to get and one hand's to give. And as it goes through, there's enough for you. I get it and I give it. And as it comes through, it's enough. there's enough for me as it goes through, right? Let me ask you something. Why would God drain you of your resources and then not replenish them to accomplish what he's committed to doing? Oh my gosh, what if God asked me to give it away? So what? We talked, about, we talked about Melvin Scott last week, right? That two or three times a year, he emptied out his bank account. Fill it up, empty it out. Fill it up, empty it out. Why? Because he couldn't outgive God. And every time he cleared out his bank account, his business got bigger. Because God was calling him to do something. Why would God drain you of your resources and then not replenish them when he's asking you to do something? That's just ridiculous. 
I wouldn't do that to my own child. And yet the Bible says that God loves me more than I love my own child. Right? So if God says give, we give. If he says, and Lynn and I know that firsthand. The last time I talked about finances was a couple years ago. You know, I shared the story. One day, Lynn and I, we had some friends that were doing everything they knew to do. And God said, told us, he goes, empty out your bank account and give them everything you've got. And I'm like, um, I can't do that because I have a house payment and a car payment. And I got a kid on the way. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and she came back. That was in my personal time with God. She came back and she goes, I think we're supposed to clear out our bank account. That's not funny. You know, like, <laughs> what? You know? And so we did. We wrote a check with everything that we had in the bank except just enough to keep the account open. And we sent it. And we sent it. We sent it to them. I think it was like Western Union. It was, you know, no, our name was not on it whatsoever. And I'll be dipped. Seriously. No, I won't be dipped. <clears throat> but make it honey mustard if it is. Okay. So two days later, in the mail, we get a check everything plus what we had just written and cleaned out our bank account with. I'm here to tell you that when you follow and obey God, he provides. I wrote that check. I'm like, I have no money to pay the house payment now. I have no money to pay the electric bill or the car payment. I don't know what's going on, but okay. Two days later, walk out to the mailbox. I'm like, this is a weird-looking envelope. Open it up. Like, I would love to have been a fly in the throne room of heaven to see God's face when he's looking down at me going like this. And literally, I went into the house and lost it. I mean, I, I literally lost it in a very positive way. I literally lost it. Because I began to realize that when you give, you can't outgive God. You just can't. You never will. Whether it's finances, effort, energy, time, whatever it is that you donate to God, you can't outgive him. The third and final law that we find in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is this. Good service results in repeat business. Good service results in repeat business. Anybody that owns a business, some of you have favorite restaurants, you know. Why is it your favorite restaurant? It might be because of the food. But the food might just be okay. It's, it's okay food, but you like the server. You've made connections with people. And so why? Well, it's good service, right? I like Tom or Judy or whoever waits on me, and so I'm going to go in and say hi to him, and I'm going to go there and I'm going to eat. Good service results in repeat business. Look what he says in our passage that we read today in 2 Corinthians 9. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. You will be enriched so you can be generous. God says, if you're going to be generous with what I give you, I like that. That's the result I want. You know what? Good business, good business results in repeat business. Good service. God says, you know what? You're doing good with what I gave you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you more. Here, go be generous again. The minute you turn that spigot off and say, I'm going to keep it for myself, even though God's told me to give it, God's like, that's not good service. That's not what I've asked for, right? He uses this line in this passage two times, two times. So this particular law must be extremely 
important. Right? When we provide a good service, God will use us again because he knows we're capable partners. He goes, that's a capable partner. I can use them. I'm going to give them more, and I'm going to expect them to give more. I know they'll do it. For somebody, it might be given 20 bucks. For another person, it might be given 200. For somebody else, it might be given 1,000. I don't know. Everybody's at different levels. Everybody has different income and different abilities. But here's what I can tell you, that when we come together as the body of Christ and love each other regardless of our differences and we all work together, God's kingdom moves forward. It happens over and over and over. That's why on November 17th, at the end of this series, we're going to take one massive offering for our, for our Imagine campaign. Now, I know that many of you have been faithful, and I shared last week some really good news about that campaign and, and how you guys have been really dedicated and staying on top of it and, and doing things that are, that are unheard of. When I talk to other pastors, they're like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but it's God, you know? And so November 17th, we're going to take up just a massive kind of harvest offering to give on top of what we've committed to, to be generous, to go above and beyond, right? And so it's going to be an exciting time. And on November 17th, we're going to celebrate. Now, keep your, if you've committed all the way through the end of the year for the Imagine campaign, uh, for, the Imagine campaign for, our, for our land, then go ahead and continue with your December, with, with the December giving. But this is just going to be above and beyond, and I'm really super excited about this because it gives us the opportunity to say to our community, we love you, but it also says something else. God, we're building this building for you. We're dedicating it to you. God so loved the world that he gave, right? Our job is to create something, to give it to God Because in the end, God loves and cares for people, and so the building is for the people, right? Not people for the building. The building's for the people, not people for the building. You see, if people are for the building, then we start sectioning off who can use the building, and we start sectioning off what can be done in the building, and you better not do that, and you better not do this. And it becomes all about the building if the people are for the building. But if the building is for the people, then we can reach out to others with the building and love on them. And listen, I'm not going to lie, just to be honest. Just this morning, Cassie met me in the hallway. She goes, I'll be glad we get our own building. This setting up, tearing down. I'm like, yes, hallelujah. <laughs> right? Like, I was like, I just wanted to say preach it, sister. But I didn't. But I should have. I say it now, preach it, sister. Right? Setting up, the tearing down, the in, the out, having a place of our own that we can do what we want, when we want, how we want, is a tremendous opportunity. It's a tremendous opportunity, but it's also an opportunity for us to love our community and care for our community. So when God sees us as capable partners, he's going to continue to give and be generous towards us. And listen to 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at some times, no, what's it say? Okay, so you're still asleep. What's it say? All times. At all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
Who knows more of what I need, myself or God? God, right? So he says God's able, he's able, doesn't mean that he, he is going to bless you abundantly. He says he is able. The condition is, are you going to obey God with what he's already given you? If so, then you need to know that he's able to bless you abundantly above so that in all things, at all times, you will have all you need every time. Every time. So then, who becomes your source? You or God? God. Who's richer? You or God? Yeah, I need my source to be up there. I don't need the source to be me. At some point, I can't work any more hours. I can't put any more. I'm exhausted. I got to go to bed. I can't. At some point, I will wear out. He will never wear out. I need my source to never wear out, right? To never wear out. True riches is knowing that God will meet my need. Philippians 4.19, last verse in closing. And my God will meet all your needs according to, your, to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He'll meet your needs according to his riches, not according to your ability, not according to how many hours you can put in, not to how well you can educate yourself and get a better job. He will meet your needs based on his riches in heaven if you continue to be generous and do what he's asked you to do with what he's given you. Why? Well, as I said before, good service results in repeat business. I like that. They keep giving. They keep donating. They keep being generous with their time, their energy, their effort, their finances. They keep being generous. And so the three laws of kingdom giving, three laws of kingdom giving in the kingdom of God are this. Number one, the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest. You sow, you get back more. Number two, Investing in eternity aligns your finances with God. It says, God, my finances are going to get, I'm getting my finances in alignment with you. It's, it's funny when people come to me, Pastor, I need help with my prayer life. I need help with my marriage. I need help with my parenting. I need help. How do I do this? How do I do that? But the minute the preacher says, let's align your finances with God, everybody disappears. Why? It seems it's okay to come to the preacher about prayer and faith and everything else, but the minute, I, the minute the preacher says, well, here's what God's word says about money. Maybe it's that money represents far more than we want to admit that it really does. Number, and then the third and final one, good service results in repeat business. Good service results in repeat business. Giving is like this. Right? God gives it to me. And I can do one of two things. I can hold on to it. Oh, this is great. This is my ball. I'm going home. Right? I'm going to take my ball and go home. Or, I can say, you know what, God? It's yours. What happens? God, it's yours. I'll give it. What's happening? It's coming back. Thank you, Boston. Boss is up here like, it's coming back. He's like, why aren't the adults getting it? I don't know. We're all grown up and... Right? And to the extent that I give with the right attitude and the right heart, it comes back that much more. And so if I really give, if I really want God to bless, it takes off. So my question to you today is, are you holding on to the spiritual ball and going home? My ball, I'll go home. 
right? Or are we saying, God, it's yours. Oh, there it is again. God, it's yours. Oh, there it is again. Which spiritual kid are you going to be? Let's stand up. Let's worship God this morning as we close out with song. And I just want us, as we sing out these last few verses, what kind of spiritual kid are you being? Are you applying yourself and your spiritual life to the laws of the harvest? Or are you taking your spiritual ball and just going home? It's mine. Thanks, God. It's my ball. Or are you giving it away and allowing God to bring it back to you? Amen? Amen. If you're here this morning, and maybe, maybe you're holding on to the ball in a different way. Maybe you're holding on to the ball trying to run life yourself and saying, it's my ball, it's my, it's my life. I'll do what I want. But Jesus said, for people that follow me, if you give your life away, you'll find it. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never given your life away to God. He says, if you give it away, I promise I'll bring you your life back better than ever. I'm going to ask Lynn and Amy to come down on this side. And I'm going to ask Norman Linda Bracken to come down on this side. And if you guys would just be there to lead them to Christ, if that's you and you want to accept Jesus, like, Jesus, I just want to let go of my life and let you take it. I want you to come forward. They want to pray with you. Or if you need prayer for anything else, as we sing out this last song, we want to pray with you and believe that God's going to do something supernatural in your life. Let's sing.